I'm Avery Arden of the Rock Candy Podcast Network, and you're listening to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. Ramadan Mubarak and Blessed Holy Week to any of you who observe either of those things. Now is a time to grow closer to the divine and to our fellow human beings, to ponder the stories that matter to us most, to give up the things that bring harm, and to cultivate what brings life. This is not an easy time, but it is a meaningful time. This episode shares a clip from a conversation I had with my friend Laura centered around the grief and pain that Christians take the time to sit with during Holy Week, as we remember the last days of Jesus. In our conversation, Laura and I read and discussed two gospel stories. The first was actually read at many churches last week. It's the tale of Jesus being anointed with oil, not by a powerful figure like a prophet or a priest, but by a woman who understood Jesus better than just about anyone else did. The second story is traditionally read on the Thursday of this week, as Christians remember the events of the Last Supper. It tells how Jesus made space for his own fear and grief in the Garden of Gethsemane. We link both of these stories to disability theology and trans theology, as well as to all experiences of suffering, of deep need for people who don't dismiss, deny, or demand answers for our pain, but simply sit with us in the midst of it. Some context that Laura has shared in earlier podcast episodes that will help you follow our discussion now. Among other disabilities, Laura has EDS, a tissue disorder that brings them chronic pain and limits their mobility. This is a disorder that you're born with, but symptoms tend to develop gradually over time. As Laura experiences an increase in pain and now finds themselves unable to do certain things that they used to be able to do, they've desperately needed the space to grieve certain losses, to lament as they adjust to a new way of life. That doesn't mean Laura sees disability as nothing but pain and suffering. They are a self-advocate for their own flourishing and the abundant life of all disabled persons. But just like Jesus took the time to rage against the coming of his suffering and death, Laura has the right to lament, to complain, to rage, to feel whatever emotions come. And like Jesus cherishing Mary's gift of oil, like Jesus begging his friends to please just stay awake with him in the garden, Laura needs people who will sit with them in their lament, not to scramble to solve it for them, but simply to affirm their experience and offer whatever comfort there is in companionship. All of us experience a whole variety of things in our lives where lament is deeply needed, but for many of us there's a lot of pressure to rush past the stage of sitting with the new reality of pain or grief. As you listen or read along to our conversation, I invite you to ponder. What grief or pain do you hurry past in your own life? How can you take a little time this week to sit with it 
Whom can you invite to sit with you? If you want to hear our full conversation, check it out over on Laura's podcast, Autistic Liberation Theology, which is linked in the episode notes. In the meantime, I hope this clip enriches your week right after you hear about another show on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Liam Hooper. And I'm Peterson Toscano. Together, we co-host the Bible Bash podcast. Each month, we look into a different ancient story. We're curious to find insights into our own queer lives. We discuss these and share our findings with you. You can find the Bible Bash podcast pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out at the end of each month. Just to put it in context, John chapter 11 is the story of the raising of Lazarus. So Jesus comes to Bethany and Mary and Martha tell him, you're too late. Lazarus was sick and now he's dead. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus grieves with them, even though he knows he can raise Lazarus from the dead. So he proceeds to do that, um, brings Lazarus back to life. The community unbinds him. And I guess we sort of, in this intermission between chapter 11 and chapter 12, we can imagine Lazarus probably has quite some like adapting to do to sort of Mm -hmm. readjust to life, right? Like he was dead and buried and starting to decompose Mm -hmm. and now he's back. Um, But that's where we are in John 12 is Jesus is hanging out at the house of these very good friends of his. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, home of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus and his sisters hosted a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who joined him at the table. Then Mary took an extraordinary amount, almost three quarters of a pound, of very expensive perfume made out of pure nard. She anointed Jesus' feet with it, then wiped his feet dry with her hair. The house was filled with the aroma of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, complained, This perfume was worth a year's wages. Why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag and would take what was in it. Then Jesus said, Leave her alone. This perfume was to be used in preparation for my burial, and this is how she has used it. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. That's the story. I I really love how you how you gave, kind of gave John and this sarcastic tone <laughs> um, about Judas, and I, that was great. That was awesome. Yeah, like on, on the topic of Judas, um, like oh, this is this is my favorite version of this anointing story because it takes place with like Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Like we get to see them more, and I really like their relationship with Jesus, but. This this version by John also drives me up a wall because, of course, John has to take the chance to smear Judas, right? To to say, oh, he's a thief and and he's he doesn't really care about the poor. Nobody was asking for that like information. It was kind of <laughs> right. Why why would you mention that <laughs> that he's a thief? 
Yeah. Just that we don't mistake him for a good guy. Right. Yeah. And like in in Mark in Mark and Matthew, it it's not um it's kept more vague about who complained. Yeah. Who yeah. was judgmental? Um, but John has to go right out and say it was Judas. Um, and I think especially in during Passion Week, that can get really problematic in the way that yeah, like throughout church history, Judas has sometimes been related to, like made an analogy for all of the Jews because his name is Judas. It literally means Jew or Judean. And so when when viewed in that light, calling Judas a thief who doesn't care about poor people sounds a lot like stereotypes. Like of, a dog whistle or something, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really not great. And um, that's why I appreciated um, this past Sunday, my pastor Kathy preached on this and she took the time to sort of point out that Judas's question is is pretty valid. Like, I know that I, growing up, like this has always been my sort of question too, is like, I can't help but agree with Judas or the disciples who ask, isn't it kind of wasteful? Like, this is a lot of oil. Is it really worth a whole year's wages? So she just sh- like she just took the time to emphasize that asking questions, even if it turns out the question, like even if the answer isn't what we expected or whatever, the asking of the question is not a bad thing to do. That that God calls us to ask questions, so ask away. And that uh, that like that question was kind of in the room or kind of yeah yeah yeah. And this is maybe the the bit where the whole um, hierarchy of luxury can fit in mm-hmm. when we were talking about it, you reminded me of that that disabled people or people who live of uh benefits or poor people in general are always kind of questioned and looked really closely upon when it comes to what they spend their money on right because yeah. it's always this assumption that yeah like like the whole millennials can't buy houses because they're too wasteful and spend their money on stuff they don't yeah yeah avocado toast yeah like if you didn't get starbucks every day yeah (laughs) and and for um yeah for disabled people it's kind of why do you need to go out of the house anyway Mm -hmm. why do you why do you need this expensive wheelchair can't you just sit in your room all day and stare at the wall because you're disabled yeah which is so like you wouldn't expect an abled person to live like that. Yeah. But there is, it's like people, I, I wonder if it's partially because people accept the myth that like a disabled existence is always about suffering and like your quality of life is inherently lower. You can make it that way. By, you right. Know. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like that. Like <laughs> that is a whole thing. It's a whole debate in, in, in activism and, Right. Yeah. How do you if you, if you you spend some like go out for for for, for a fancy dinner once, mm-hmm. then that always will compare to how many people could I have fed with that? Right. Because you deal in those numbers, you know how much spaghetti you could like cook from that. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh my gosh, so much spaghetti mm-hmm. with this apparently like years worth of wages, like. <laughs> If they had spaghetti, and, <laughs> maybe instead bre- bread or something. But and I, I really like the um, yeah, as you pointed out, uh, the kind of almost hyperbole amount of oil. Right. Yeah. 
that it's, it's almost like comical the amount of, of, of uh, oil that she's using. Especially if she, especially if in this story she's only washing his feet and not like his whole body. Like, yeah. <laughs> those are going to be, he's going to stand up and slip and fall. Like, that's a lot of, <laughs> I guess that's why she wipes it off with her hair is like, oh shoot, I used too much. Here, let me take some of that. But yeah, like just the double standard of, and I get like Mary and Martha and Lazarus, unlike the in the stories where it's an unnamed woman, especially in Luke, where it's a woman like from the street who is called a sinner, like mm-hmm. that woman probably is impoverished. With Mary and Martha, they at least they seem slightly more akin to our idea of like a middle class. They own a house. They have mm-hmm. so it's not quite not quite as extreme poverty, but there is still. And they seem to be the base camp, like where everyone goes when they need feeding. Yeah. <laughs> like where the, <laughs> the revolutionary meets, uh, like... Yes. Yeah, where, where, where all the uh, conspiring takes place and they feed everyone and they, yeah, mm-hmm. take care of everyone because they apparently can host them. Right, yeah. I, I doubt they're mega rich, but they have enough to be able to afford to... Yeah. And just like... I was tra- I was thinking about like if who who is the person that they would have sold this oil to if yeah if they had decided to sell the oil that means there must be some super rich person who has 300 denarii just lying around that he can spend as however he wants on a whim yeah um why is no one going up to him and judging him like hey you have all this extra spending money why aren't you just giving it away to the poor without yeah. getting anything yeah. for it. like no like people are not demanding anything from him at least in this story like so why why put that demand on Mary who is using or or the 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 unnamed woman in the other versions who is using something out of more limited wealth let her let her have this moment with Jesus and uh, yeah since uh, we also wanted to talk about the link to Lazarus mm-hmm. that if 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 we read the story where it is Mary, then this is something she has been forced to use right. a short while ago when when her brother died, and to realize now I am in a position to know that someone I love very much is going to die. I can actually use this oil beforehand so that the person can actually enjoy it. Right. What was this quote that I couldn't remember that you sent to me? Give us the flowers while we're still alive. Yeah, yeah. I am. I'm not sure if this is the origin of it. I think. I think it's a phrase that might be used in various groups, but I know it through the trans community. Mm-hmm. The idea of yeah, give us our flowers while we're here is this idea of. I think it's especially sort of like a response to things like Trans Day of Remembrance, where yes, yes. we right we rightly commemorate the people we've lost, the trans people we've lost to violence. But it's saying that that's not enough. You also have to celebrate and and support and and defend trans people while we're still alive. Yeah, yeah. And, and work to keep us that way. So yeah, like this idea that Mary has the chance that most of us don't get to lavish this love upon Jesus while he still lives, that she likely with her brother not long before yeah this of course we could open kind of a whole door to talk about like inspiration porn or like mm. the the poor disabled person who has tragically died and is, is in a better world now 
where you just realize, oh, okay, so this is our role. This is, mm-hmm. or also like queer people in in media, the whole uh, celebrating and, and commemorating people when they can't speak anymore, when they don't have any agency anymore. Right. Yeah. And that, yeah. They won't talk back. You can you can totally cut this out because this is kind of way off topic. <laughs> but the uh, whole thing like around uh, MLK Day, where like. Uh, hardcore Trumpist Republicans were quoting MLK and kind of distorting everything and claiming that Dr. King would uh, be opposed to Black Lives Matter and to critical race theory because he said people should be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Right. Like, yeah. Professor Ibrahim X. Candy is his name. He has apparently written an article about the second assassination of Dr. King. Ooh. That when somebody's dead, you can you can just, yeah, attribute stuff to them. Oh my and, gosh, uh, yeah. That actually feels like it does relate, especially to Jesus's death in particular, and how... <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah right. <laughs> how Christians have... Yeah, he was crucified on the cross, and, you know, we believe he rose again, but then he ascended, so he's gone again. Mm-hmm. He's not here to tell us when we misuse his message for hate, like, yeah, or, or yeah, water it down into nonsense, like, like has happened with MLK. Yeah, when you're actually brave enough to tell somebody, I support you now. Yes. Because this is something that, that really, what you were telling me, like, this confirmation or affirmation that mary gives jesus that is so like so singular that nobody else does at that point yeah that in doing this thing that he recognizes he like when when judas or the disciples or whoever else judges her for her actions jesus's response is to say hey this is something that is preparing me for my burial this is great of her to do in fact in um in Matthew and Mark, and I think Luke too, he ends. He sort of ends the conversation with saying, anywhere that my story is told, her story will be told as well. And so he clearly like is moved by this, and it does mean a lot to him. It was worth the money. It wasn't a waste. Mm-hmm. Um, because all his other disciples, every time he brings up, as he, as he does in, I think, every gospel, there's points, especially as we get closer and closer to his passion, where he mentions to them, hey, you know, part of me being the Messiah is that I'm going to suffer and die. They're going to kill me. And the disciples' response is always confusion or just downright denial. Like, mm-hmm. like you and I have the favorite story of Peter, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is something that feels so familiar to me when I literally cry for help or literally say, yeah. I can't do this anymore or I'm breaking down and responses are either people being so uncomfortable and pretending nothing has happened. Right. Just not responding at all, maybe avoiding. Because there's just no practice, there's no precedent how to to deal with that. And many of my friends during the the years have kind of realized, okay, I can do this in that moment and I can they mm-hmm. we don't have we don't have a culture that knows how to deal with that. So people have to actively learn that. Right. And the other reaction is kind of blind panic or kind of, no, this can't happen. This won't. And <laughs> yes. uh, this, this can't be that you, that you um, kind of, that people treat you like this. Right. And yeah, this is what, what I need most in those moments is to be believed is to be seen and somebody to take my hand and just grieve with me over the situation. 
yeah, not not to do what Peter does and say, yeah. you don't know what you're talking about. That is not how it works. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you don't need people who, yeah, to jump ahead to Gethsemane sort of, the disciples there fall asleep. That idea of, yeah, people just sort of avoiding it, closing their eyes to the issue. Yes. And this is this is kind of, uh, if you just boil it down to Peter, um, it's kind of falling asleep and then jumping up and cutting someone's ear off. Those are the two. <laughs> yeah. There's no in-between. Right, no, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's just just those two reactions, and that's, mm-hmm. ah, bless, but, bless you, Peter, but that's not helpful. Right, yeah. Like, there's e- either denial, or there is, if you're suffering, it's your fault. Mm. Uh, it's not completely what Peter does, but it is also kind of, you have to, Take action. Mm-hmm. If even if you can't change stuff, just pretend it's your fault, and you can do it better with it. <laughs> right. I mean that, like the idea that Jesus was crucified, like he was a criminal. He was criminalized. It, he was blamed for his death. In yes. that, mm-hmm. like you're saying, if if he hadn't provoked the people in power, something that I feel, either when I do stuff that I feel is right and necessary, and possibly dangerous or the hard way or, or yeah um exhausting and stuff or if i'm just existing sometimes right then there is always this this fear that the people who are supposed to be rooting for me who are supposed to be on my side that they take the narrative of the people hurting me right or the the system or the structures that are hurting me, for example, like with bullying in school, like then why don't you just not wear that, those clothes that you love so much and that give you a sense of identity? And for me, that not being an option because I need those. They they keep me safe and they they give me something to 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 be myself in. Yes. And then to be told, but they you choosing to wear those clothes is the reason is the reason you're being bullied. And the whole victim pl- blaming stuff, as you say, like, um, right. yeah. Why are you being like such a rebel rousing criminal, Jesus? Then get you. Like... <laughs> right. Yes. Couldn't you just keep your head down, Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. And and the more I, the more I learn about liberation movements, the more I learn that the powerful side, the oppressive side, will always tell you that there's a right way. Yeah to protest yeah. and there's a right way to to fight against what is hurting you and every time you try to follow those rules they will change the goalpost mm-hmm. and so that it is really really difficult to believe like to 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 keep, go back and gain or reclaim your gut feeling and your feeling of no this what i'm doing now is right it is this is righteous and this is necessary and i'm doing it mm-hmm. and and when I'm just imagining, if I if I'm using my what's the phrase, sanctified imagination? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like Jesus has been talking about, he's going to die. Yeah. And knowing how things go, and knowing this is a confrontation he's going in, and it will probably end like this, and he has to be prepared for that. And having like his dudes around that are just like not really listening, or like pretending they didn't hear it, or being just no, we won't let that happen. Right. And then having one person actually accepting it and actually saying, 
okay, I think you're right, you're going to die, and I'm mourning for you, and you were right, and you did nothing wrong, and this is not fair, and this is this is a crime. And even if there is going to be a plaque on your cross that claims that you're like a heretic or like a um, rebel rouser or like a mm -hmm. zealot or whatever, and even if there was a trial, nothing will con convince me that you deserve this. Mm. Like, yeah, I agree with you. Like, just the kind of relief that must have brought Jesus to know, oh, thank God, this is someone I don't have to, like, fight on this. Like, she gets it. She she doesn't like it because it's, <laughs> I don't like, like, it's terrible. No one likes it, but she, she accepts it. She she can, she can um, carry the burden with him. Yeah. She can hold, hold space for it. And what we also talked about, the fact, the olfactory element and, like, comically, huge amount of oil right of yeah fragrant oil poured on you and having like one set of clothes that she, he he would literally have carried it to his to his grave mm -hmm. and 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 you described it as he would carry mary's love or like you, you i think kathy also said that that yeah the, yeah. the 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 act of of being being anointed he would carry to to into jerusalem but also we talked about that the the just the smell of this 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 act of love yeah, like you're saying like it would have it could have soaked into his clothing and yeah what a for so many people olfactory sense is such a like so linked to memory that the idea that like while he's standing trial and while he's being tortured every now and then the shift of his of the fabric on his body would bring that scent back to his nose and just hopefully sort of almost take him back into that memory. Yeah. That like he yeah. can he can escape into that for just a moment and and remember that at least one person knows why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And doesn't blame him and doesn't And hasn't abandoned him. Yeah. Because yeah. we know the the disciples all flee for the most yeah. part. Yeah. But she's not she's yeah. not gonna flee. Yeah, we also like talked about can we link this to uh, Palm Sunday? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jesus also needed to be reminded that he didn't just go to Jerusalem to die. Right. Yeah. But there was there was also love to bring and to bring there and to to receive and to to interact with people. And so having that act of love and that confirmation or this validation right. of his purpose made that possible. I imagine he pro like he would have done it all anyway, but I'm so thankful that he could do it with that a little comfort. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Especially when it comes like once we and I think we can probably move into Gethsemane pretty soon. Like, yeah, just when it comes to things like disability and other things that just bring like chronic pain and stuff that brings suffering that can't always be complete. Like you can't fix it. There's no like easy fixes. But you, you're so worthy of, if there's even one thing that can bring you just a little comfort, it's worth it. Just, like, it doesn't fix the problem, but it just, it makes it a little easier to bear. And so I'm, I'm just, yeah, I, I'm so happy that Jesus had that. Yeah, yeah. And that, that Mary had it too, right? That she, because like, it, it's all, like, it is hard to be the person that like, you see someone going through something that you can't fix for them she at least had one thing she could do for him. And and maybe that is what made it possible for her to be at the crucifixion. Wasn't she one of the women who were there? 
Probably. Like, there's so many Marys. I always there's so it many up. Marys. So I think it depends on which gospel, yeah. whether it clarifies which Marys were there. But I totally believe she was there. Yeah, that that for for the disciples, for the the male disciples, it it was um, they were still in this mode of denial, or like if we can't physically fight off the Romans, then we have to run away. Right. There's a third option. It's, right. it's not to run away or to kind of save them with your bare hands, right. which you can't. But they can also be just to be there. And that is often helping more than you can possibly imagine. Right. Do you want to get to the Gethsemane story? Yeah. yeah, to, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to read Mark's version, which um, I think is in chapter 14, starting at verse 32. Um, and I picked Mark because it's one of the more emotional options. Like you mentioned right before we started, I think that John's version of the agony in the garden takes out the agony. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, he takes out Jesus's fear and pain, whereas Mark has it all in there. And so Matthew and Luke also have a lot of that pain. But, but John takes it away because I think he's afraid of having a Christ who can experience fear and, yeah. and doubt. <laughs> so that's yeah. Just like we talked about with the apostles. Right. Yeah. Like that. It's, it's oh, no irony. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's hard to, it's hard to accept such a vulnerable person as, as your leader. And especially as your God figure, like I get why he did it, but I also am so grateful that Matthew, Mark and Luke kept, kept that pain in. Yeah. So yeah, here I'll, I'll read it. The Mark version. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake for one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough. The hour has come. The Son of Humanity is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I always wonder if, like, what passages are, like, really written with a almost a bit comical undertone because, right. like, having this dramatic scene and then coming back, like, dude, how can you sleep? Yeah. This, yeah. this is, this is almost like you can, you can feel the Jesus being really perplexed, even though he, he knows his, he's known his a bit confused friends for a while now but he's still yeah it's just, it really is kind of baffling because even if they don't get exactly why he's so upset 
I don't know if my like best friend slash teacher slash leader guy was sobbing and like yeah in like Luke's version he's like literally like he's sweating blood like he's super distressed they could probably hear him sobbing how do you fall asleep to that uh my mind just made up uh, opened up another door and it's <laughs> the the whole thing about um being able to cope with reality and being in society living in societies that basically um built around uh, our need for distraction our need for suppression of reality and uh, denial of reality mm. and so it's yeah that that sleep is like to not having to face what is going on and again i think that is a feeling that many many disabled people or, or marginalized people in general right just yeah. know so well because people not knowing how to respond to you sobbing it's the weirdest thing you you're sitting there you're having a panic attack you're mm-hmm. you're having a meltdown and and people just not having the uh experience and the practice yeah to to kind of compute with that to that like our minds really need to actively learn that and actively against a culture of numbness yeah don't worry about the conditions of the people who are making your clothes just buy the clothes and yeah yeah if if someone is suffering deeply on the sidewalk look away i mean jesus has seen it over and over with people ignoring when he said he's going to die right and um jesus has also seen it when people were like choosing to look away or he had to teach them to reteach them to actively witness suffering right yes and 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 use parables and use like all the means he had to explain no this is your neighbor yeah this is this is you are supposed to feel you know that feeling that you're trying to look away from you're supposed to feel that (laughs) the main thing i actually wanted to to talk about with the whole getsemane thing Mm -hmm. it is related to the the like speaking or talking about your pain talking about your fear mm-hmm. and having place or space for that is really rare yeah and that jesus took that time and space there's a there's a difference between planning a route of escape or um kind of arming himself and like fighting off the romans or just kind of accepting this is going to happen but still raging against it yes or of being allowed that like total panic and being allowed that yes all the feelings that come with it to mourn to mourn your own fate and still <laughs> and still walk that path something that seems paradox to us in our society where we just we either deny pain or we kind of jump to action to avoid it and to be fully aware, aware of what's going to happen and still asking god to not letting it let it happen in a way that is makes clear this doesn't mean i'm not going to do it but i just want to say i'm really 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 scared right yeah to be allowed that is something that many suffering people many yeah marginalized people really need yeah the circumstances often don't give us that Mm -hmm. my thought with being disabled and talking about oh this is really really tough and this is really I'm I'm losing my mind with this pain. I'm losing my mind with this with all that. 
is the fear that I come across as ableist. Right. So, like cutting into that same like narrative of my existence is so horrible and yeah the fear that someone will accuse you of oh but i thought you said disability can be a good thing and now you're saying all this bad like it's terrible and uh, yeah many many other people who who are activists or fight for for liberation or acceptance or they always feel like they have to hold it together because they they need to show no fear no pain because that would look like it's a lost cause mm -hmm. but it's so the, the the grief for the situation the grief and the the, the tiredness and the exhaustion and the, the the anger and frustration and and the fear and the pain they all they are there and right it is so hard to carve out spaces where they have a way where you can feel that and and name that and towards towards god we are allowed to name that Yes, yeah. I think, yeah, Jesus felt like it's sometimes really difficult to, to voice that towards his disciples. Right, yeah. I often feel like when I want to rage, and I'm not really good with anger, but when I want to cry and be sad, and then people always mistake it as I want to jump to action or I want something done about it. Right. No, that's not the point. I want, I need space to accept it. Yeah. It's not, it's not you in denial about what can be done. Yeah. Yeah. I think I saw this on Tumblr or somewhere. Someone saying as a sort of like conversation tip of like, if someone starts like complaining about something big or small to ask them if they just want to vent or if they like mm -hmm. are, do they want just a listening ear or do they want solutions yeah i always feel like realizing there's a problem or realizing pain and fixing it those like there's a step in between that and that is always like jumped over yes i need i need some time on the platform where or like make a base camp at um oh yeah i'm in pain now this is a problem now it needs to sink in first and then it needs to be become um i need to re accept that reality and then i can go further is there a possibility to change that right yeah yeah is there no possibility to change that and mm -hmm. but i can't jump over that phase i can't jump over the gethsemane of things yeah and like you said when it comes to disability activism i think especially autistic activism a lot of times in autistic like positive spaces it is it is autistic positivity you can only say good things about autism and how like oh see it's a it's a different way of thinking so like here's some skills and gifts a lot of us have and that's awesome but then when someone wants to speak up and say yeah that that part's cool but also like my sensory overload is so like it truly like it's impeding my quality of life and mm. and like all the accommodations in the world aren't going to completely fix it for me like yeah there are autistic people who are like don't say that you're hurting the cause right like we're trying to convince the the abled people that we're fine as we are so if you dare to voice any negatives uh, you're feeding into that ableist message yeah um there was a post that was really helpful about the paradigm change to when when born this way was so important for the queer community right because it was so important to establish no there's nothing that happened 
that made us this way that can be undone. Right. So don't try to fix us. Yeah. But now that we are at a point where we can actually say, and even if it were, like there are some aces who are born this way. There are some aces who kind of became ace because of trauma. Right. They're both ace part of the community. Yeah. And I, I, I can understand how kind of the, there is one na- one kind of threatening mainstream narrative and you need kind of a, a shield to defend yourself, but don't don't let that shield hurt people other people from the community that right yeah <laughs> that is the danger right don't like overcorrect and overbalance in the other direction yeah of oh no disability is only good like no the, the reality is somewhere in between and that's okay non-disabled people their reality isn't all good right yeah <laughs> and yeah for for like disabled people it either has to be a total tragedy or you have to be inspiration porn Mm. it can't just be a normal yeah the thing is like i said before with, with jesus it makes all the difference if i have a community that tells me yeah you're going to a doctor probably that is a 50 50 chance of that going badly Mm. like compared to having people who only really rarely have to go to the doctor and make mainly okay-ish experiences who will tell you yeah like oh well the doctor knows best the do- like yeah 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 and i i i need people who 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 kind of are on my side and believe me and yeah. um believe my my experience and i i think it's i think it's really important also to mention that the people who get it in that moment are the women yeah because they know that um, stuff can't always be fixed and suffering often has to be endured because they're just in a societal position where they have to face a lot more horrible things than the men. Yeah, well, and like the fact that it is a woman who seems to believe Jesus and see him when he names his pain. Yeah. And then later in the story, it's the women who are not believed when they're telling the other disciples, right? Yeah, like when when Mary Magdalene or other women who are like, we saw Jesus risen from yeah. the dead or we saw the tomb empty and the men are like, uh-huh. Ah, we are more interested who can run faster. Yeah, like, yeah. This is, this is our issue here. Yeah, just of course it's the women who know what it's like yeah. to not, to be dismissed. Yeah. To mm-hmm. have their pains or their, like to have their reality yeah. dismissed of what they're going through or what they've experienced or seen. She knows how how good it feels when somebody believes you and how how healing that can be. And so she wants to give that to her friend. Friends, I hope that you found something meaningful, something comforting, something challenging in this clip from my conversation with Laura. As I mentioned before, if you want to hear the full thing, hop on over to Laura's Autistic Liberation Theology podcast, linked in the episode notes. That's it for today, but I will actually be back very soon. I plan to publish one more episode for Holy Week, probably near the very end with a bit more reflection, just sharing some passages of uh, queer theology, 
particularly about that liminal space after Jesus died and before he arose when something happened in the tomb. But yeah, for now, I hope that all of you, whether you are Christian, observing Holy Week, whether you're Muslim, observing Ramadan, um, whether you're Jewish, getting ready for Passover to begin, whether you're none of those things and you're just trying to get by in this very complicated and chaotic world, um, I, I wish you well. And if you, if you find something helpful in this podcast, I would greatly appreciate if you left a review, a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever else you listen, um, or else if you'd give it a share, send someone an episode you think they'd enjoy, that would mean a lot to me. Alright, see you soon. In the meantime, go break some binaries and be a blessing to the world with your life. Thank you.